Welcome everybody, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning, you're with the double L team, Larlan Lawson. Lawson, how was your weekend? Really great. I was on Zoom a lot. I yes. had so many Zoom meetings this weekend. You have been Zoomified and square-eyed? Well, it's like... Yeah, we have our Friday night Bible study on Zoom, and then we have like church on Zoom. But then we had a Saturday night meeting on Zoom, and then fr- uh, Sunday morning uh, Sunday morning prayer meeting on Zoom, and then last night we had another meeting on Zoom. That's a lot of Zoom. Literally, like that Zoom is just a like lot of Zoom. I had a book day like that every single like day. I had a day like that the other day. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of went like. Just all day, I just went from one Zoom to the next Zoom right? to the next Zoom. I think there was, I think there was only three Zoom meetings in the day, but they were all long meetings. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, by the end of the day, I kind of felt like I'd just been on Zoom all day. I, I did have some. Okay, I had some involuntary therapeutic shed time, but it wasn't therapeutic because basically I just got a flat on my car and I had to put the the donut wheel on. Which isn't very therapeutic. It's just kind of like sad. I got to ride my motorbike this weekend. That was fun. So took it down the bush. Yep, took it, took took her out of the bush. It was a good time. What about yourself? <laughs> How was your weekend? Ah, uh, my weekend was amazing. I zoomed and zoomed and zoomed. Um, <laughs> not quite as much zooming as what you did, but um, it's um, you know the good news, the po- very positive news today is, of course, that this is the last day of winter. Mm. Spring is about to spring, so that's, that's right. um, pretty exciting. So that's uh, absolutely amazing. Had some great family time, some good family discussions. Oh, epic. Yeah, catching up with the family on uh, well, Zoom and FaceTime and all that kind of thing, mm. Messenger, whatever. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. But uh, let's jump into some positively different news this morning. So, Lyle... Did you know that they just discovered the biggest coral in the Barrier Reef? Oh, really? They found a bigger one than the last biggest one? Yeah. Uh, this is cool. So they just pump- published their uh, report in Nature Mar- magazine of this big coral, which has been named the Muga Dambi, uh, after, you know... Uh, was named by the Manbara people as they're kind of the custodians of that land. And this piece of coral has been discovered, and it is... 5.3 metres tall and 10.4 metres wide. That is enormous. It's like the biggest piece of coral you could possibly What was the imagine. biggest one up until this point, do we know? Um, I, I'm, I'm reading here. It doesn't, doesn't see, say. It doesn't say. That's just off the charts. As far as tallness goes, like it is the single tallest. Um, coral. Coral. Um, no, sorry, it is the single widest coral and the sixth tallest coral, but they are deeming it the biggest piece of coral. So it has the most cubic metres of coral. That's right, that's right. And this thing is just massive. So there like, are corals out there that are taller than that. Yeah. How, how tall is that one? We should find out what See, the tallest one is. See, this is the thing, is. though, is that I feel like these big, tall corals would be, like, long and skinny and straight, whereas this is, like, a massive rock. It's like the it's like the underwater air's rock, but, like, way, way smaller because <laughs> it's only 10 metres um, wide. But, yeah, it's interesting how they found this, though. It was, like, 
you know, amongst the 2,900 reefs in, in the Barrier Reef. And they were running a, a citizen science workshop. So just like something super basic with a bunch of randoms. Um, and they're like, oh, let's go up to some remote areas that we usually can't get to because of the weather. Um, and yeah, like their group, including Dr. Adam Smith, found this massive piece of coral and they're like oh well there you go um and then started you know getting getting on the radio making orders hey bring out telemetry um devices over here let's let's measure this thing let's plot its coordinates we need to we need to we need to see what this is so basically yeah they've um they've gone through and they've just like fully mapped it out now this piece of coral um but yeah it was completely was completely what what they're determining is it was completely unknown up until this point, and they reckon it's around four hundred thirty eight years old. That's a decent age. That is definitely a decent age. Mm-hmm. Been growing there for a long time. That is very very impressive. I'm just trying to do some quick googling here. I can't find what the tallest, the world's tallest cor- coral is. Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of articles on the world's biggest one, which is just sort of um, landed, and everybody's talking about this because it's the biggest one. Yeah, that's but right. what I did find out was that coral can grow as deep as 1,800 fathoms. Did you know that? That's a long way down. What's a fathom? Is it like a metre? No, it's a couple of metres. Okay. So 3,300 metres. that is a long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought once you get that low, then things, there'd just be too much pressure. It'd just be like sand, right? No. No, they Corals. They they live down there. They're killing it. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. They absolutely are. And also, you've got corals that are living north of Scotland. Yes. We sometimes think of corals as being tropical, but there's actually corals that live north of Scotland. Yeah. That's a long... That's like up in the Arctic. That's freezing. Arctic... I did not know there were Arctic corals. I'm learning new things right now just trying to find out. (laughs) I want to know what the tallest (laughs) one is. We now find out what the biggest one is. We have it here in Australia. So another big tick for Australia right there. That's right. Nature is amazing. I just love the things that God creates. Yeah. Oh, dude, the photos of them swimming around the coral look so funny because it's like this big rock that's like fluffy on the top. And they're just like swimming around it with like tape measures and it just looks hilarious. Like there's just dwarfs everyone near it. Like it looks like it's huge. It is ginormous. But oh yeah, that's awesome. Oh, that's so good. I, I think it's cool to find it as well. Like we've mentioned on the show a number of times. And if you've kind of followed your, your barrier reef, um, you know, history and, and, and current events, pun intended, uh, <laughs> then you would know that, you know, there's lots of tragedy going on with, you know, dying coral and bleaching coral and all these things. So to find this massive piece of coral and, and being that it's so far up north as well, it means that it's quite easy to protect and there's not a lot of um, traffic in the water there that could mess it up. So I guess, look, I just love knowing that Australia has the biggest and best things. Of course. <laughs> what, what, where else would you, you know, it's, it should go without saying. That's it? right. We're, pa- we're patriotic here. Um, all right. Oh, dude, I have another story, which is hectic, insane. So a pregnant Afghan woman who boarded the U.S. Ev- evacuation aircraft gave birth in the plane whilst hundreds of passengers were inside. Um, yeah. And she named the baby after the plane. So the plane was called Reach. It's a C-17. And she named the baby Reach after the plane. Nice. So, dude, this would be the most intense birthing experience ever. Yes. You've got a bunch of people fleeing Afghanistan, like... And you're giving birth right there on the plane. And you, Yeah. So, basically, she starts to give birth, but then has starts, starts having some health complications because of, like, low blood pressure because they're so up high. 
So they start to, you know, drop altitude in the plane. She comes to, and they're like literally land in Ramstein in Germany. They, you know, call up the, the, um, the air traffic controller, like, Hey, we've got a lady giving birth here. They literally land the plane, like in, it touches down. And as it's coming to a stop, she pushes the thing out and then medics from like this uh, air base in Ramstein all just like run to the plane and you know, the baby's, baby's delivered and they it's healthy. It's happy. Take it to the hospital. Nice. <laughs> it's like the most intense story. The latest, the, the newest German citizen, right? Yeah. Well, actually they're, they're going to be end up getting to the U S yes. so, so still apparently. So does this baby got Afghan citizen, German citizen or American, which what, what kind of citizenship oh, will this baby have? Epic if it had all three. You're just like imagine if it had coffee, been coffee. born at thirty thousand feet. Does that mean that it just has? It's just a, a citizen of the planet, Mister Worldwide. We should, we should have. We should have citizen of the planet, a planet citizen. That's right. You know, and that you can just sort of travel anywhere and go anywhere. I love how they name the baby Reach. That's like my favorite part. It's a little baby girl yeah. named oh, Reach. She's a, that's a girl. I thought it was a boy. No, it's a girl. A little baby girl named Reach, um, which is really just just epic. Like, what a name. Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, but it's also like commemorating something really amazing. But like this baby reach is going to end up eventually in the United States and growing up. And it's like, you know, I could imagine like, oh, man, that's a really interesting name. Where'd you get it from? And then sh- her responding like, oh, yeah, it's because I was born on a C-17 fleeing Afghanistan called Reach. And then people respond being like, we don't believe you. And then she like pulls out the photo up or whatever <laughs> yes. it is. Like, um, no, nah, this is the plane right here. Dude, oh, it's the coolest She's going to have ever. some stories to tell. Imagine when she's a grandmother and she's like, well, when I was born. <laughs> what an yeah. epic story. Oh, that's right. But yeah, oh man, great stuff going on. I have one final story here and I'm a, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit interested by this one to see how it works and its application. Essentially, um, a young Irishman, uh, has won the Google International Science Fair for making like this magnetic water that can be put into ocean water and suck in microplastics and take it out. Wait a minute, but microplastics are not magnetic. Well, apparently this has the ability to suck them in. That's pretty epic. It's this it's this water that's like magnetized iron oxide and vegetable oil. Right. And and this is the thing. So though. you're putting water in water. Yeah. But it's magnetized. So the water that goes into the water spreads through the water. Yeah. So the microplastics that are already in the water move to a different place in the water. Yeah, but then they move to where you can see the new water spreading. Because it's but then when the new water finishes spreading, then the microplastics... Yeah, but apparently, like, there's a way in which... See, what we need is a paint. That's right. That way you could just paint all the bottoms of the ships with this <laughs> magnetic paint. That's right. Scrape off all the microplastics when they come to port. hmm And send the ships back out again. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so in relation, this is generating a bit of a discussion here. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, what citizenship should you, this child oh, have? Yeah, well, my okay, so, so here we go. Uh, Raphael says that child is a heavenly child. He was literally born in heaven. <laughs> Does that make him or her an angel destined for high places? Then we go to Bruce, and Bruce says this. Where did this go? I had it here a second ago. Where did it go? I had a, oh, here it is, here it is, here it is. Okay, Bruce says the baby should have citizenship in heaven. I will, I will go along with that. <laughs> Definitely. That's a place where everybody needs to have citizenship. 
And then we've got one from Braden. Not sure if it's true, but I've heard that if you're born on a commercial flight, that plane gives you free flights for life. May have been a thing in the past. I doubt that that still exists, but maybe somebody out there can do some quick Googling and find out for us. Dude, you'd be able to work that system so hard. Like, just be like an absolutely, like, Unmovable pregnant mo- mother, like you are, just, <laughs> just like get from ready. one plane to the next, dude. No, your water breaks, and you just like run to Newcastle Airport, <laughs> like, <laughs> j- jump on the first domestic flight that's hanging out. Uh, but, oh yeah, okay. Well, fair enough. That would be great. Okay, so some really great ones. Uh, this one here was interesting. Coral, uh, God is a master painter, decorator in heaven, on earth, and the sea. I can only imagine how beautiful the new earth will be. And this is one of the, this is one of my, one of the got to be one of the greatest arguments that there is against evolution, and that is the fact that God is so extravagant mm. in the beauty that He creates. Nature is incredibly extravagant when it doesn't need to be. Nature can be highly successful if it was just all black and white, one color. Mm. But God is artistic and God is creative. Okay, so uh, heading over to the uh, National Religious Board Broadcasters in the United States, they just uh, sacked Dan Darling. He's an author and a broadcaster um, because he uh, did a whole piece on why Christians should get the vaccine. Now, of course, National Religious Broadcasters, they are not anti-vax, they are not pro-vax, they are neutral on the subject. And I think that that's a good position that we all need to take at this particular point because the sides are getting too polarised and people are getting too upset and too angry on either side, which is being completely unhelpful. Um, He stated that his Christianity compelled him to get vaccinated. And my question is, will your Christianity survive the whole vaccination discussion. So, and, and this is what I'm seeing, and, and it's very concerning for me. I've, I've been seeing this particularly over the last week. We've had many, many months now where we have been bombarded by vaccination positions. Mm. So for me, 90% of what I've seen on mainstream media has been pro-vax. 90% of what I've seen on social media has been anti-vax. And that's given all of us a very good opportunity to read both sides of the story and to do our research, which has meant that we are now reaching a point where most people, I would say that probably 99% of people out there have actually made up their mind Mm. one way or the other. They've come to a conclusion. They've done their research. They've come to a conclusion. And amongst Christians... Christians are coming to their conclusion based on their conscience because that's what Christians do. And some Christians, because of their conscience, go and get a vaccine. Other Christians, because they believe that that is what is best for them and for the world. Other Christians, because of their conscience, don't go and get a vaccine Mm -hmm. because they believe that that is what is best for them and for the world and for others. It's time we recognised that as Christians, we are all making the decisions we are making based on the principle of doing what is best for our body, our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, and doing our best for our neighbour and loving our neighbour as ourselves. Mm. People on both sides of this equation are making their moral decisions as Christians 
around those parameters. Now, what are you going to do if somebody makes a decision that is not the same decision as you? Are you going to choose not to speak to that person ever again? Well, some people are taking that position, unfortunately. And this is what I'm seeing. And this is what is scaring me because I'm seeing people out there. It, it is it has now become such a polarizing issue that people are like, "Well, I'm never going to talk to you again. I'm never. I'm not, certainly not going to live next door to you in heaven. Mm. You, you you take a different stand on the vaccine to me. You are the most awful person that there is. Now we may not understand why the person takes the position that they do. It might be beyond our comprehension that someone would take a position opposite to ours." But on this issue, we need to have freedom of conscience. And this is something that I have been calling for from the very beginning, Mm. is freedom of conscience and freedom to be able to choose. This is an issue on which I'm very, very strongly pro-choice because I believe that God expects all of us to make our informed decision based on the information that is available to us. And God expects all of us not just to read social media, but also to read mainstream media, and not just to read mainstream media, but also to read social media. Mm Mm-hmm. And to have a look and to investigate and find out, okay, what decision am I going to come to here? Which scientists, which doctors am I going to trust at this particular time? That's right, yeah. And we need to respect each other. And when somebody comes along and says, hey, I'm anti-vax, we need to respect that. When somebody comes along and says, hey, I'm pro-vax, we need to respect that. And we may need to just respectfully disagree and then get on with life. And like, yeah, okay, you're, you're, you're this vax, I'm, I'm that vax, you know, we're mm. all good, let's move on. Instead, what is happening, we find somebody who is on the opposite side of the equation to us and we feel a need to cram as much information down their throat as we possibly can. Believe me, when you're in a position like uh, Lawson and I are in, uh, the amount of messages that we get coming through on Messenger, on on our Facebook, trying to cram one view or the other down our throat (laughs) is just, it is just, you know, it is just mind boggling. And uh, to be honest, I've, I've started blocking and I've probably blocked probably 50 people in the last week that are sending me stuff from either side. Mm. Because That's I'm right. sick of hearing stuff from either side. Yeah. Well, okay, the real question, Lyle, is yes. which side are you on? Because then I can determine whether I, I can talk to you ever again or not. And this is the whole point right here. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> this is this is the whole point right here. And we as Christians, we need to be Christians. We need to get over this. Mm. We need to respect, have absolutely respect that when somebody makes a decision that is not the same as our decision, they are making that because they believe that is the best for them and their neighbor. Mm. We need to recognize that and we need to respect that even when we passionately disagree with them. And we need to quit jamming stuff down each other's throats because seriously, if you haven't had enough stuff jammed down your throat by now, then you are living under a log. Mm. All right. We did talk about Biden. We did say we'd talk about Biden's blasphemy. And, and of course, I think everybody's seen the most awkward uh, Bible quote ever where Biden quoted Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8 where the Bible says, um, who will go for us? And he says, well, America has been answering that call of God to go for God to attack Afghanistan for the last 20 years. 
You know, if you're going to stretch the Bible to the max, that's probably the biggest stretch I have Yikes. ever seen. Yikes. And when you oh. do that, you've just turned that into a crusade. You have turned it into a jihad. You have turned it into a holy war. If you're going to inflame things, can you inflame anything more than that? And this is quoting from the one book of the Bible that speaks about peace more than any other book of the Bible. He goes on to say in relationship to ISIS-K, we will not forget and we will not forgive. Well, that doesn't sound like Isaiah who says, I, even the I am the Lord that blots out your transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. Yeah. You know, that's pretty much the opposite of the character <laughs> of God right there. It's a little bit scary when, you know, this is the kind so of thing you, you would expect this from Donald Trump, right? Yeah. Because he doesn't know the Bible from a bar of soap. <laughs> yeah. But Biden is supposed to know what the Bible says. Yeah. No, I'm just surprised he said anything like that to make any, any kind of, like, wow. It's just It shows me that he's not as passive as I thought he was. Cringe. It anyway, is. Uh, we, need to, we need to pray Ouch. for the leaders of our world. We certainly do. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Give us a call right now or shoot us a text message, but joining us on the phone this morning from Creation Ministries or creation.com to Creation Ministries International is Scott Devlin. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Good to be here, Lyle. Now, Scott, as we get into our discussion today to talk about creation and science and so forth, which we do with uh, Creation Ministries each month, I understand that you are going, you've got a kind of mind-bending kind of uh, subject that we're going to look at. We're going to be talking about uh, light, the speed of light, faster than light. What, what, what exactly are we talking about today? Yeah, good question. So I, I sent you this article I'd recently written on creation.com and um, it's about a star that explodes and it appears to explode faster than the speed of light. Um, but it's actually not the case as nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. Okay, so why is it that it appears to explode faster than the speed of light? Does that mean that it explodes and vanishes or how does that, how does that actually work? Yeah, good question. But basically, it's an optical illusion to summarise it. But um, in more detail... What happens is there's a specific star in the sky, and in, in um, 2002, we saw it uh, novae or explode. And so it explodes outwards, but because it had exploded in the past, it has previous dust shells or remnants of previous explosions around it. So what happens is the light goes out from the star, and it illuminates the surrounding dust shells. And those dust shells are then the light that we're seeing. So it's a bit of a trick to the eye. We think it's the star exploding, but it's actually a series of uh, dust shells that are being illuminated. And the distance that the light travels to our eye is shorter than we think. And um, I've got an article on creation.com, and there's some diagrams that can explain this a little bit better. I guess it's quite hard just speaking. But, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> so- just some... Um, yeah, but, but that's the summary, is that it's a star that explodes, and you look at it, and it increases from, um, it increases by about three light years in diameter in only seven months. So that's traveling one and a half light years in radius in seven months. And so this is an interesting one, Well, is that um, a light year, sometimes we think of that, oh, well, what's a light year? Well, it's actually a distance, it's not a time. A light year is the distance that it takes light to travel in one year. Yes. 
So what's that about three hundred? Uh, no, that's the uh, speed of. No, how, how far is a light year again? Remind me how light years distance. No, 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 you were you were right. You were just about to say three hundred thousand kilometers yes. per second. That's how fast light travels. That's and right. that's rounded up very slightly. It's roughly three hundred thousand kilometers per second. So, um, you know, I don't have a calculator just here. If you were to translate that into a light year, you would need to times that second by sixty seconds in a minute. Times that minute by. Um, 60 minutes in an hour by 24 hours in a day by 365 days in a year and then sure. you would have the distance of a light year so you can imagine it's, it's pretty far Three, if light travels 300,000 kilometers in one second how far does it travel in a year it's a very long distance uh, long distance indeed okay so what are the what are the what were the claims that evolutionists were making about this observation and what does this observation tell us about creation yeah good question well, well actually this observation there was no um, claim that could be said, hey, this is, for ev- this is evidence for evolution or this is evidence for creation. Um, it was actually a, a writer wrote into us. So sometimes, oh, sorry, just a, a general reader had, had written into us. But uh, often if people can't find an answer on our website, creation.com, uh, which there's 13,000 articles on that, if they can't find an answer, they're allowed to write in and one of our scientists or speakers will answer the question. So this question was assigned to me. And so there's not... It's not actually evidence for creation or for evolution. But I guess the person that wrote in was thinking, well, if light can travel faster than light, if there's a case where light speed could be increased, could that change the dynamics of the universe? And then could that be evidence for creation or evolution? Uh, So one thing that gets discussed a lot in the creation-evolution debate is distant starlight. And uh, it's all the distant starlight problem. Some people call it the light travel time problem. Um, so I could talk more about that. Would you be interested in that? For sure, absolutely. That uh, yeah, fascinating subject right there. So, so the light travel time problem is this, and it's issued as a problem as if it's towards the creationist. And the problem goes like this: so we just talked about a light year, and we talked about the vast distance one light year is, and light can only travel um, one light year in one year. So, in the universe, we see and we measure distances that are in fact billions of light years. So some stars and galaxies we see in the sky are billions of light years away. And that means the light takes billions of light years to get to us. Um, And that's what we're told. And so therefore we're told this proves the very long ages of evolution and this proves the Bible. But um, what's not said is, although that's the distance that the stars are away, that's not the time. A bit like I said earlier, it might be that far away and light might only travel at 300,000 kilometers per second now, uh, but how do we know it traveled that in the past? That's very unlikely that it traveled that same speed under today's naturalistic conditions. But if we have a supernatural creator God, we know that the creation was supernatural. So different things could have happened then that allowed us to see the light now. And there's a few other very interesting things about this. So whilst the evolutionists will say to us, this disproves um, creation, they've actually got a light travel time problem of their own. And it's to do with the Big Bang and the CMB. Um, I, I won't get into that. Maybe that's a long talk. We can talk about it later if you want. But basically, they have their own light travel time problem where they also need light to go faster than it does now. And some of the secular, secular scientists are coming up with theories of how light could have traveled faster in the past, which is a bit harder for them because they don't have a miracle worker because essentially it would be a naturalistic miracle for that to happen, whereas we do. Um, and we know that in the creation week, it was a miraculous week. God made the world, 
made the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he made them as he spoke. So miracles are allowed for us in the creation world. Does the fact that miracles are allowed for us, and this is one of the objections that I, I get sometimes, does that actually stunt scientific research? Because, you know, when we come across these problems, does it mean that a creationist will just say, well, you know, God worked a miracle, so we don't need to investigate any further. Is that, is that an excuse for creationists to try and sort of get off the hook from doing further research? That's a, that's a very good question. I, I've had the same thing asked of me. And... Um, yeah, the answer is no, because we, uh, we actually, most creation scientists constrain themselves to uh, no miracles outside of the creation week. Although we know that's not strictly true. Jesus turned water into wine and a virgin gave birth and Jesus was raised from the dead. We know that God intervenes in time and space today and in the past. But um, what we also know is God is an orderly creator and the very fact that generally without miracles without a miraculous healing things go as normal here on the earth things go according to naturalistic processes in fact it was it's the very reason that the god of the bible is a consistent god unlike the capricious gods of hinduism that we even have modern science today and modern research today because in the middle ages that was when science really started to flourish and where did it flourish it flourished in the Christian nations, and it flourished out of the monasteries and then out of the first universities that were originally theological colleges. And that's where science started to flourish because they were able to do the scientific method and they based the scientific method on um, the steady God of the Bible because it, he says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, people thought, the thinkers of that time thought, well, you know what, if I investigate the natural world, and I do an experiment today, I would expect that same experiment to give the same result in a week's time or a year's time because we believe that God who created the universe um, is a consistent God and he's made consistent laws. So the very fact that we have experimental science to start with um, is from a Christian perspective. So I think now as creationists in 2021 that are doing their research, um, I think that they've got every reason to not include miracles in their research. But when we're talking about history, um, we of course we're going to include miracles because we believe in a supernatural creator God. Um, does that make sense? So there's two different sciences, which I'm sure you're aware of. There's a yes. historical science and an experimental science, and they're two, two different categories. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I see about, uh, you know, naturalistic principles that we have that our world runs on, uh, surely these are the greatest evidence that we have of a creator God. You know, you look at a, a, a motor car, for instance, and it has principles on which it runs. And once it has been created, it drives around for the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, however long based on those principles and if you look at that you would not say well you know this came out of an explosion in a you know in a factory somewhere you would say somebody sat down thought this through designed it and then yeah. set it on its course and surely that's what we see when we see you know naturalistic principles at work and surely that is an evidence right there that our world was actually thought out our universe was thought out Yes, there's a very good point, because if you think about evolution, you think it's, uh, well, what is evolution? So it's a random mutation and then natural selection, and that's evolution. So if you think about that, it's quite a random process. Um, they're relying on these random processes, which are real and, and God's put there, because, well, I mean, it's some of it's the result of the fall, the mutations. 
but there's more of a randomness to it as opposed to a structure and an order that we see in God and we see in his word. So, yeah, I think the very basis of experimental science or the scientific method um, would be, uh, well, we know it was based on the word of God originally. Coming back to the speed of light, and we did talk about, you know, the obviously supernatural experiences at the time of creation where God speaks things into existence. And, you know, you've got a couple of, you know, there's several different ideas that I've heard. One that, you know, God created the universe. He created the stars, but he created the light between there and here at the same time. Others that he, you know, created from here and spread it out across the sky and so forth. But when we talk about, you know, the speed of light and not being able to travel faster than the speed of light, are there instances in the Bible that, kind of indicate that maybe God can travel faster than the speed of light and does travel faster than the speed of light? Maybe angels do? Yeah, yeah, good question. I, I guess I guess he wouldn't be limited and neither the angels would be limited to the physical realm. So the speed of light is probably better thought for us as a speed of causality. Um, when you look at it, you can't have cause and effects travel faster than the speed of light. So no electromagnetic radiation can travel past and be like it really is a, it feels like a real top limit speed to our universe and um, that God's placed there. And so that's why uh, faster than light theories uh, should always be taken with a pinch of salt and you should look into them carefully. Um, one thing that we can look into though is the speed of light in the two-way direction has never been measured. So it is possible that actually, although we always say the speed of light is 300,000 kilometers per second, it could be possible that the speed of light towards us is infinite and the speed of light away from us is half of the speed of light because we're not actually able to measure the one-way speed of light. We can measure the two-way speed of light. And that's a little bit technical. But um, but yeah, there's a Wikipedia page on it and scientists have been trying to measure the one-way speed of light for about 100 years. But by philosophy, it's probably not possible. Sorry, I don't think I answered your original question then. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay, but you just added the bend in my mind there a little bit because I was, you know, as a very simple person, I always thought that when they measured speed of light, it's like, okay, you get a light source over here, you get a, a measuring device over here, you switch the light source on and, and, and measure how long it takes for the light to reach from point A to point B, and wouldn't that be then a one-way speed of light? But that's not what you're saying. Yeah, well, look, let, let's explore this. It's really interesting. So... That experiment that you just um, thought there, you've got a start in the beginning, and if you think about it, a runner, like a runner racing a race, you've got the runner at the start, apart from our runner's the speed of light, and um, you've got the a guy in the finish line with a clock, he's got a stopwatch, and he's going to time the runner how long it takes, 100 meter race, he's going to try and get it under 10 seconds. With the speed of light, we're going faster. But anyway, he's still timing it. So you set the runner off, you set the light off, and you let the light go, and then the guy with the stopwatch stops it. Now, the question is, when does the guy start his stopwatch? Now, in a 100-meter race, you can look to the end of the 100-meter line, and you can see the gun blow, and the stopwatch guy knows to start the stopwatch. But um, what happens? How does, he, how does he see the gun blow off? Well, he hears the sound. Okay, sound travels slower than light. Okay, then you could have someone at the start waving his arm. Okay, then that's the speed of light. So there's a time difference between... When the guy puts his arm down and then the guy in the stopwatch presses the start and the stop. And that time difference is the speed of light. So you can begin to see some of the problems. And the problem is how do you synchronize your clocks? You need to have synchronized clocks at the start and at the end 
before you can measure the one-way speed of light. Whereas measuring the two-way speed of light is a little bit different because you, ju- you just have the clock and the starter at the same point. You put a mirror at the end of your 100-meter run thing. You shine the light, it reflects off the mirror, and it comes back to you, and you've got the two-way speed of light. Gotcha. Um, but the, one, the one-way speed of light, there's a problem, and it's called it's, um, time synchronicity. It's a little bit interesting to think about. Um, actually, a secular person has done a very good YouTube video on it, um, so this isn't just something that creationists talk about. Um, secular people also realize that we're not actually able to measure the one-way speed of light. So I think we need to be very careful before saying, well, evolutionists should be very careful before saying, hey, the universe is very big. Your Bible can't be true, saying it's about 6,000 years because we've got these stars that are billions of light years away. How did the light travel to us? When we've, we can't say concretely, this is the, two, this is the one-way speed of light. Scott Devlin, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. You have certainly challenged our brains and stretched our minds, which is always the case when we talk about the speed of light, but it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. That was Scott Devlin from Creation Ministries International. Of course, you can go to creation.com where you find articles, magazines, there's a store, there's events that they have, uh, there's all kinds of things to explore right there. Excellent material. Highly recommend that you all head over there and check it out. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.